Hi, this is James Barris. I hope you find this talk supports you in your practice. If you'd like to support my teaching, you can use the donate button underneath my picture on Dharma Seed to do that. Your support is greatly appreciated. The the topic um, that I'm I wanted to talk about tonight, um, I I must confess that I have been thinking of I wanted to. I've been talking a lot about, we've been exploring a lot lately uh, in the last month or so, really since George Floyd's um, tragic murder, um, about racism and white privilege and uh, issues um, uh, around that theme. And I was, I was thinking, you know, uh, 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 maybe it's, it's a bit, more on the um, on the social engagement level than uh, than for people who really want um, deep Dharma and uh, so I was thinking about having some looking at some suttas and looking at uh, some classical teachings and lo and behold in this last week the the two most um, respected translators of the Pali Canon um, popped into my, my field, uh, this one Bhikkhu Bodhi's article that I just put in the chat box, uh, and uh, Venerable Analio's uh, essay that just came out since, since George Floyd, let's see what the date is on it, June 19th. Uh, it was published online on um, confronting racism with mindfulness, and and I'll I'll read to you actually the the end of the very end of um, Analio's article to start. <laughs> Those who like to get to the end of the book can find out what happened. He says, uh, diversity work, rather than being perhaps at times seen by some as an annoying duty to which white Buddhists have to assent in order to be politically correct, can come to be right at the heart of their path of practice. That this is a path of practice. And I, I know that the audience, uh, the group is predominantly uh, white, and there are some people of color, and I, I am so appreciative that you're here with, uh, with us, and I, I hope that what I share applies as much to, um, to everybody listening. And I thought, okay, well, here are the two most esteemed translators of the Pali Canon saying, Hey, keep your keep your focus on this. So anyway, for this one week, I wanted to once again explore, and particularly um, seeing how Analio uh, points to the fact of how practice becomes a really powerful tool in whatever uh, diversity work or raising our consciousness is. Mm -hmm. But first, I'm going to read a little bit from uh, Bhikkhu Bodhi's essay. Uh, Bhikkhu Bodhi, as uh, I've mentioned before, he's the translator of all the, the thick Pali Canon 
references the middle link discourses and the connected discourses and the numerical discourses. He is the premier translator uh, of our time. And he's also been an activist, a very, um, very committed, uh, um, heartfelt activist who founded Buddhist Global Relief, which has raised um, hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars for, uh, for those who are in need around the world. And this is his essay, as I said, uh, from Tragedy Springs Hope, Reflections on the Killing of George Floyd. I'll just read the last part of it. In the end, what is required to achieve a lasting resolution to racism in this country, and this is the States, is a change in the perceptions and attitudes that allow these travesties to continue. White people in particular must make a deliberate effort to look beyond stereotypes and see every human being, regardless of skin color or ethnic origins, as worthy of care and respect. Just as we each cherish ourselves, so we must learn to see each other and every human being as endowed with inherent value and thus as worth, as worth cherishing. To change our perceptions is no easy task. The human mind is governed by a deep tendency to objectify others and subsume them under categories that reflect our personal biases and fears, particularly the fear of difference. To objectify others is to blind ourselves to their own intrinsic reality as persons who like ourselves wish to avoid suffering and seek happiness, who want to live and not to die, who aspire to realize their innate potentials what is needed above all to eradicate racism, as Martin Luther King Jr. said, is an unconditional love rooted in an understanding of our shared humanity, our shared fragility and vulnerability. Such love would give rise to genuine compassion for those who suffer and a desire to ameliorate their pain but would also affirm our common capacity for leading lives of meaning and purpose. It would thereby unite us in a collaborative effort to create a society and even a world in which everyone can flourish. So with, um, with that, I wanted to um, explore with you uh, Analio's treatise on mindfulness as uh, a key to diversity work and how diversity work can be uh, a path to our awakening. Analio, um, if you're not familiar with him, is... Uh, has done some amazing uh, translations, not only in the Pali canon, but in the, in the uh, Chinese and Tibetan canons as well. He, he's brilliant. I've spoken about him before. He speaks 11 languages and uh, knows the suttas back and forth and is very, very deep in his analysis 
uh, he wrote the, the um, quintessential book on the Satipatthana Sutta called Satipatthana. Satipatthana Sutta is the discourse on mindfulness. And Joseph Goldstein, that many, who many of you know, um, uh, gave a series of 46 talks on Analio's exposition of Satipatthana that became a beautiful book called Mindfulness uh, that Joseph wrote. So Analio, who's also written a, a book on climate change and on other aspects of how the teachings can be applied to contemporary issues, um, has uh, become concerned about this issue of racism. And just as um, Bhikkhu Bodhi uh, talks about overcoming our uh, our habits uh, and unconscious habits, uh, the key that Analio keeps on coming back to again and again is that it takes awareness to overcome our conditioning. Uh, as, as the Buddha says, we are what we think with our thoughts. We make the world in the first line in the Dhammapada, one translation anyway, that our thoughts are all habitually created. Uh, they're from, from what we take in around us. And then we keep on practicing often thoughts rooted in greed, hatred, and delusion. And that's what leads to suffering. And it takes practice to undo those habits of those, those kinds of thoughts and develop habits sourced in non-greed, uh, generosity, non-hatred, kindness, non-delusion, clarity. Um, and that, that's why this is called practice. It's all about practicing, first being aware of our old conditioned thoughts and habits, and then through that awareness starting to change and that it's possible to change and train the mind. And so first in this essay, he, he looks at how this idea of superior and inferior goes way back, uh, at least in, in, in ancient India, before the time of the Buddha, there is the, and which is still going on now, is the caste system where uh, people are separated according to different qualities uh, that have nothing to do with intrinsic value. And the Buddha was such a radical because he uh, negated the caste system. He said, this isn't, uh, this isn't how one bases one's, one's worth. And there's a couple of suttas, maybe I'll just read a, a little bit about it uh, and, and quote, in, first in the Vedic te texts, um, this is not in the Pali Canon, uh, non-Aryans, the origin, I'll read this, the origin of caste in India could be traced to the racial superiority which the Aryans claimed mainly on grounds of color of the skin um, and that Non-Aryans are described in unflattering terms regarding their physical appearance, 
not only did they sport anasal faces, dark skins, and short statures, but they practiced revolting religious rites. This is according to the, the Vedas, mumbled a, barbar a barbarous tongue, and engaged in unacceptable behavior. Uh, in those things, if those things offended the chanters of the Vedic hymns, perhaps it was because they themselves possessed elongated and prominent noses, fair complexions, and tall statures. The typical Brahmin was fairer than the typical worker, Sudra class, or at least perceived to be so. Um, and there's this one sutta where uh, this Brahmin comes to the, the Buddha and is seeing, saying that he deserves respect. He says, Gotama, I am indeed a Brahmin, well born on both sides, mother and father, of pure descent, up to the seventh paternal generation, unchallenged, unreproached in regard to reputation about birth. And the Buddha answers him saying, uh, that's not going to give you respect. What gives you respect is your conduct. And he says, uh, one does not become a Brahmin by one's birth or a non-Brahmin by one's birth. One becomes a Brahmin or a non-Brahmin by one's deeds. Um, and there's a number of refutations in this where um, he challenges the caste system and says, uh, you can't claim that because of, of some characteristics that you were born into. And uh, before I go on, I wanna read uh, one of the most beautiful stories for me about this, about the seeing through the caste system. And this is, um, this is called The Woman at the Well. So here's a little story for you. <clears throat> Ananda, the attendant of the Buddha, having been sent by the Lord on a mission, passed by a well near a village. And seeing Pakati, a young outcast woman, asked her for water to drink. Pakati said, Oh, monk, I am too humbly born to give you water to drink. Do not ask any service of me, lest your holiness be contaminated, for I am of low caste. Just even hearing that, you can, we talk about systemic racism, just how deep it is. Oh, I couldn't give you water. This will contaminate you. Just imagine the internalized racism that would go into that mind, which was shared by everyone in those low castes. And Ananda replied, I, I, uh, I'm moved every time I read this. And Ananda replied, I ask not for caste, but for water. And the woman's heart leaped joyfully and she gave Ananda water to drink. Ananda thanked her and went away, but she followed him at a distance. Having heard that Ananda was a disciple of the Buddha, the woman went to the Blessed One and said, O oh Lord, help me 
and let me live in the place where your disciple Ananda dwells, so that I may see him and minister unto him, for I love Ananda. And the Blessed One understood the emotions of her heart and said, Pakati, your heart is full of love, but you do not understand your own sentiments. It is not Ananda that you love, but his kindness. Accept then the kindness you have seen him practice toward you and practice it towards others. Pakati, though you are born a low caste, you will be a model for noble men and noble women. Swerve not from the path of justice and righteousness, and you will outshine the royal glory of queens and kings. So you can see how the human mind just notices differences and creates through the, the skanda of perception. There are five aggregates or khandas, skandas, uh, that make up this mind-body process. And the, the, thirds, the third khanda, the third aggregate, is perception, how we see things, we recognize them, we compare them in our mind to our past experience, and that um, almost always leads to the comparing mind of superior, inferior, or even equal to, and the Buddha says is also uh, what he calls the conceit of I am. So it's really deep. Mm -mm. So now moving up to uh, Analio's how to use the, the practice um, to see through this conditioning. And as he often says, he wrote a book on it, Mindfulness is the key. And there's a few ways that he says that mindfulness is the key. And as, as I talk about this, I, I, rather than it just being a kind of interesting theory, I invite you to see how you can employ mindfulness in your own practice, the awareness of seeing through that misperception of superior and inferior, uh, particularly in regard to, to this topic. That there are, and in this uh, treatise, by the way, there's countless studies and footnotes. He's a real researcher. So all of this is, is researched. That um, when it comes to internal racism, and that is conditioning that we have no, um, no awareness or consciousness of because we've just taken these messages in and they've, uh, they're second nature. It's like a, a fish swimming in water, wondering water, what, what water? Uh, tell me what water is. Um, that once you start being interested in noticing the conditioning, that it starts to affect a change. And in this, a profound change. In first, he talks about for those who are on the receiving end of racism, it's been shown that mindfulness can support 
the victims of racism by having them become less reactive, more resilient, uh, reducing the emotional intensity and the duration of that activation. And there's a, a concept uh, that Paul Ekman described of, uh, he called it the refractory period that when we're triggered, when we're triggered in, a, in an emotional reaction and we, we lose it, we get uh, activated, we're, we're not, in our, not in our clear minds and we can do uh, all kinds of, of things. Uh, and um, like rioting and looting and uh, and and things that we would not normally be done be doing if we weren't so activated, and that mindfulness is is shown to um, to uh, mitigate that, um, and that the it's also there are studies that those uh, the victims of of racism. Uh, as they practice mindfulness, their ability to observe their experience um, leads to less suicidal ideation and lessening of depression. Um, and so there's many ways that that practice can support those on the receiving end. But he says, we, we can't just put the burden on, on, uh, on the victims that those in the uh, who are in the privileged section, it's up to us to really see through our own privilege. And how mindfulness works, um, just share a few of his and, um, and others' uh, offerings. That just as we become more aware of our conditioning, um, we start to notice it if we can apply it particularly to our bodies, to our soma, uh, to our um, visceral response. There's a clue there. And I've been uh, spending a little time with this, this uh, writer, uh, Rizma Menachem, who talks about trauma of racism, it's in the body. And so when you hear certain words like, like racism or um, white supremacy or um, white privilege, um, just to even notice in your body what your reaction is. Because you might say, oh, well, you know, that, that, that's not me. And we talked a few weeks ago about uh, shifting definitions of those terms. But even when you start to bring up words in this whole issue, you can notice there's contraction in the body or there's expansion when you hear the word love or you can, uh, you can notice, and your body doesn't lie. Here's a, I'm just thinking now, an exercise that I often do uh, that, uh, that points to how thoughts affect our whole system. Just try this, close your eyes for a moment. Some of you have heard me uh, say this. 
I'll just take it as beginner's mind. And I'll say a word and notice what happens when you hear this word. Trouble. Trouble. Notice what goes on inside in your, in your body, any images that you have, any associations, trouble. And take a nice breath. I won't leave you here, don't worry. And here's another word. Notice what happens. Kindness. Kindness. Notice how it feels inside. Notice the images that you might have or the, the sense of ease or openness, kindness. Okay, you can open your eyes if you like. Did you notice any difference? How many people noticed a difference? No good, you were listening. Uh, I'm trying. So you can imagine those two words just plucked out of thin air, just out of my consciousness through the waves and hearing you in your in your room how it can have an effect inside just imagine the countless messages that we receive one way or another that we're swimming in this privilege of of whiteness so he says that mindfulness you pay attention to those reactions inside so that you're not um, at, the, at the mercy of them. Um, and that mindfulness allows us to go to our internal conditioning. But then he also makes the, the other point where it's not just internal uh, and he says in, in, in many of the uh, writings about mindfulness and as uh, distinct from, from becoming more racially, uh, becoming more sophisticated and aware of, of racial biases, um, they say that the racial uh, um, education is more about noticing how it is for people outside and mindfulness is more internal. But he says, no, 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 no. Mindfulness is both internal and external. And in the Satipatthana Sutta, the discourse upon which mindfulness is based, the Buddha says one is mindful both internally and externally and internally and externally. So you, you want to be paying attention to, um, to everything around you and, and how it gets expressed in those around you as well. Um, and this is um, now from he quotes Paul Kivel, who wrote a, a book, Uprooting Racism. Um, and Paul Kivel says, um, 
through mindfulness, uh, becoming fully aware of the larger context outside. Kivel writes, there's absolutely nothing wrong with being white or with noticing the difference that color makes. You're not responsible for having white skin or for being raised in a white dominated racist society in which you've been trained to have a particular response to people of color. However, you are responsible for how you respond to racism and you can do so only consciously and effectively if you begin by realizing it makes a crucial difference that you are perceived and treated as white. So you have to be aware of how you are perceived from, from others, not just how it feels inside. Even if you are, this is a resma menachem, even if you are the most fair-minded person on earth, at times certain privileges will be conferred upon you because of the color of your skin. Your whiteness is considered the norm and the standard against which all skin colors and all other human beings are compared. That alone provides you with a big advantage. I'm not blaming for you for this or asking you to feel guilty or ashamed about it, but you need to be aware of what those privileges are and how they function in the world around you. Um, so he says, um, uh, I'll just skip ahead because I want to open it up to, um, to conversation, that with mindfulness, we can also become aware of how our actions um, impact others. And particularly uh, being aware in subtle ways of how others respond to us. And this brings up the, um, the idea of microaggressions. It's called the microaggressions, where without even realizing it, what you say has an impact. I'm sure most everybody here is familiar with, with that term. But he says, if you pay attention, really are tuning into this, you're motivated to start seeing when people of, of color have a response around you, or if you're not aware of it, to invite them. And I, I can share with you a, a story, my, my own experience, um, it was last year. I really wanted to learn my impact on, on people, on people of color. And I was teaching a retreat, it was in Colorado, and I was invited to teach the retreat with um, six other teachers, all of whom were teachers of color. I was the one white person uh, in the, uh, on, the, on the team. And I was the most experienced also. So I had a kind of, it, it was a tricky role. And we said at the beginning, we're all doing this together. I don't, I don't want to be the one who's in, you know, in charge. And they were very competent and very capable. Um, and I said, uh, please let me know. I'm going to make mistakes. And the only way I can learn is if you let me know, if you tell me if I do. And the first night I gave, a, uh, I gave, we all said something and I gave a kind of opening, welcoming and talk. And I said something like this is, I've been so impressed by, uh, by this team. I've, I've gotten to know them the last couple of days in preparing and they are all um, 
They're all really extraordinary and they're fantastic workers because they were all so diligent and on top of things, way more than I normally would. And afterwards we got back and, and they said, well, you know, you asked if you wanted to, if, if you um, said a microaggression, that was one right there. Uh, oh, you know, to, to call, uh, here you are the, the lead teacher and we're the workers. And I didn't have a clue until they said, but my response probably was as endearing as anything. We all became really good friends. And I said, oh, I'm so sorry. Thank you so much for telling me. I really want to learn. I didn't want to make the, put it upon them to educate me because that's a whole other burden, but I really wanted to learn. And I have my antenna out for that kind of stuff. And there's still plenty of ways that I'm learning all the time. But to invite people to, uh, people of color, to, um, to let you know if your impact is harmful, even if the intention isn't there. Mm. And uh, let's see, I'm going to say a few other things before. And oh, uh, the, he, he says uh, to start to notice, uh, make a, a conscious habit when you're mindful and you can see through the, the conditioning, make a mindful, uh, mindfulness habit to to notice, for instance, um, that you can uh, make a conscious effort to sit near, for instance, to sit near a person of color. If, there's, if you're walking into a, a, a room, a cafeteria, and there's all kinds of people, and you see a person of color, and they're sitting by themselves, you might just make the extra effort to sit uh, to sit near them and uh, and be friendly. This is not just an alio. This is uh, actually a, uh, some, uh, some person of color. I forget who. Or if you see somebody, a, a person of color who's in distress, to go up to them, to make an effort to go up to them, to start to tune into the different ways that you'd normally be invisible to them and um, they would normally be invisible to you and to start to use your mindfulness to wake up and extend yourself beyond where you normally uh, uh, move forward. And Analio says that the Eightfold Path, this is how the Eightfold Path can be used as diversity work. He says, it first starts with three aspects of the Eightfold Path that can lead to your whole practice being uh, diversity work, being your whole practice flowering. He says, first it starts with right view of seeing particularly that actions have consequences. And so you want to avoid harm and do actions that lead to more wholesomeness for yourself and for others. So to have a simple, and profound commitment to 
right view, seeing how your, one's actions have consciousness, have, uh, have uh, consequences. Then he says, right mindfulness is a key that helps you become aware of your conditioning. And then from that mindfulness and that starting to wake up from your patterns and actually uh, seeing through them can lead to right effort, which is taking actions to counter that superiority or that bias, to actually um, make the effort to do things in a new way so that those patterns are broken. Mm. And then he, he, he continues on that from that comes a greater and greater intention to keep on waking up in this, um, waking up to our privilege and that speech, action, and livelihood follow, you know, do no harm in right speech, right action, right livelihood. And out of those coming into harmony comes into a, um, an easier access to concentration, to calm and concentration. So I think I'll just stop there. It's, um, it, it's, Analio is a, um, as I say, a very studious kind of guy and there's loads and loads of research, but this is just the, the basic um, elements that I, I wanted to share and, and have us reflect on how we can use this to deepen our, our own Dharma practice and how our Dharma practice can, can be used to deepen our uh, diversity work. So just before we open it up, I invite you to go inside and I'll, I'll just lead us in a little reflection. Just seeing first with the, there's probably the intention to become more aware, more awake if you value Dharma practice. How might you use your practice, your mindfulness practice in your life to start to see through the conditionings that we're all subject to around this issue? Perhaps at work, perhaps when you read the news and have certain reactions. Perhaps when you hear about the inequities around health or uh, that's coming now with the virus that's so clearly pointing out to the disparity, the economics injustice. How can you use your practice to deepen your understanding, see through the conditionings that are inside of you and to consciously start to change those habits inside and outside.
how can you see this work as not being an add-on to your practice, but as a, a central element of your practice? If you're truly interested in awakening, in waking up, And you might pick some area in your life for this coming week and just bring a little bit more mindfulness and consciousness so that it becomes a kind of living practice, not just theory. What kind of practice can you give yourself so that this uh, education becomes a deepening of your, your Dharma understanding? And so your Dharma practice can be a deepening to this social understanding. So we have some time for some conversation. Um, if you if you like, uh, you can if you have anything you want to comment on or uh, or bring up for us to explore, you can go into the participants box, and uh, there's a place that says uh, raise hand, and you can raise your hand, and then I can. I can see you and call on you. Mm. Yeah, Jim. Jim Forbes. And you can unmute yourself. I think I am unmuted now. Yeah. Um, yeah, thank you, James, for your lead in so many ways. I really um, feel guided, well guided by you, um, and especially around, around this. Um, <clears throat> and lately, kind of reflecting, I really feel very willing to um, to believe or to to generate faith that what I'm hearing about what people of color need is true, and that um, thoughts I may have and have had are probably not that useful in this conversation. Um, but one, so the biggest. Um, not exactly conflict, but challenge that I'm actually faced, because I honestly don't know a whole lot 
or don't have regular interactions with a lot of people of color besides my, my partner, which is very regular. And then my children are, are half uh, Chinese. So they're um, people of color as well, but not so many um, black people mm -hmm. for sure. Some, but not too many. Um, but in my circle of moneyed friends, which I come from that world of money and real estate and stuff like that, I will often impart this enthusiasm I have around this. And I've you know, probably risked my life six times at least going out and protest. I mean, I've just embraced this uh, mm -hmm. Black Lives Matter thing from a white person's perspective. But, but sometimes I really get some pushback and it's almost like mattering to them is a finite quantity and if Black Lives Matter, that means they're gonna matter less or that, you know, if black people have more privilege than we white people will have less privilege. And to me, it really seems like it's more like love or kind of, but um, so anyways, I don't know if you had any suggestion for those of us who would like to share this with our other privileged white friends, in part to help spread the word and spread awareness. Mm -hmm. um, and you know how to deal with those people that just like I like my I'll, I'll end with this. One of my friends is so taken aback because at Spirit Rock it says we take diversity very seriously or something like that. There's the sign, you know, as you arrive, and he goes, "Well, I'm not going there then." <laughs> and this is a regular practitioner too. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So how do you how do you deal? In, in your better moments, how do you, uh, what's your relationship with, uh, how do you work with your relationship with, with him? A lot of deep breaths when that comes up and as much patience as I can generate. And, you know, and I do, I, I admit, I don't meet him exactly where he is. You know, I want him to be somewhere he's not. Mm -hmm. And I try to maybe educate him maybe a little more than I need to or I should really. Um, but it can be very challenging for me at times. It takes all my mindfulness and self-compassion sometimes to hear these things from mm -hmm. him and a couple others, including one who teaches, teaches meditation in Spain, which is where I normally live. And he was a monk for four years in the Ajahn Trah tradition. Mm. He just thinks this is all nonsense. Um, anyways. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Well, one thing you can see how uh, conditioning affects everyone, no matter how much they've practiced. Um, so, I, I was I was listening. I was listening to um, uh, a, a really wonderful um, uh, lecturer that I, I just started getting into. Um, uh, I highly recommend her name is Tiffany Jana, J-A-N-A. Hmm. And um, she just, there's this free webinar series that, uh, that she's doing with Tammy Simon at Sounds True. Hmm. And she was saying yesterday, how do you, um, you know, what do you do when your Uncle Bob, uh, she was answering the question, when your Uncle Bob, the racist, starts uh, starts spouting off. And she says, mm, mm, I, I wish I, I, I can't say it the way she does. She says, you know, first you take a, a, a deep breath and just 
notice your own reactivity. And she says that, and it made such sense, the key is first really listening and trying to understand and asking questions and going in deeper, oh, what, um, to, to where that the reactions are, what, tell me a little bit more about how it will be less for us. Tell me how, um, and really, be, you, she said, you can't fake it. You got to be curious. You have, mm-hmm. to, you have to really meet them in a way where they, they're respected, but then you keep on challenging or keep on asking questions that challenge their logic. Because if you keep on going down and down and down, racism harms everyone in the society. If there's, if there's an economic disparity and health disparity, look at what it's costing in not only in lives, but in, um, in, uh, in, in, in anger, in outrage, in hurt, in, uh, in social resources. It drains our social resources. Uh, it limits contributions of those who, who can, can, uh, can give, uh, give back to society and it damages social trust. And if somebody is truly interested in values of safety and, uh, and, and, and less, less hatred in, in our society. You keep on going down to it and there's something wholesome about everybody having harmony and not living in fear. But you've got, you can't give a lecture. Yeah. You, you, you've got to at first be interested and see where you have some common ground where you agree on some values that um, that would be uh, that would be a place that you can meet, and then she also says, you know, you're not going to convince everyone, and this is not like you'll hit a switch and say, oh, I he's they see the light, but she says if you're willing to have over time having conversations little by little. Uh, you, um, it, it's work, but it's as much practice for you as it is for them. It's as much practice for you to listen. So, um, yeah. yeah, good luck with it. <laughs> I, thank you. I'll listen to that because I, I do listen to to, to um, Tammy. Yeah. Tammy Simon. Yeah, it's great. Uh, maybe if I can, if I can get it in the um, in, in the uh, chat box, maybe I'll just put her her name in there. It's uh, uh, she was I she was brilliant. I was just so impressed and so engaging. Tiffany, Jana, oops, uh, sounds true. Um, with Tommy Simon, and it's just this uh, free webinar. It's a three-part series, and they've done they've done two parts so far. But you can, but they're recorded, so uh, you can you can catch it and catch up. Okay.
Okay, let's see. Uh, anyone else, any other comments, questions? Uh, from Karen, have you heard of brave angels? They're, they're bipartisan and they meet with people with often completely opposite opinions, tough issues, but the goal is deep listening. Uh, braver angels, Karen says. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Anything else that people want to uh, bring up, share? Going once, going twice. Okay, so let's let's uh, close. We can dedicate the merit. And I I do encourage you um, to see this as. Um, as deepening your Dharma practice, just by noticing the conditioning, noticing the, uh, with awareness and humility and not blaming yourself. It's just all conditioning. It's all just habits. And through that, you can start changing those habits and not just be not a racist, uh, but to be a voice for uh, anti-racism and to, to step up. So let's dedicate our time here together. And getting in touch with our own caring for ourselves, our loved ones and our society right now, which has so much pain. And seeing our practices offering a little bit more kindness and consciousness and care. May our coming here together ripple out and have benefits to um, everyone in our lives and to all beings everywhere, those who are suffering, those who cause suffering through ignorance, those who are in states of happiness and those that cause happiness all life forms, human and non-human, and this planet Earth may all benefit from our coming together and helping each other awaken. <laughs>